0: This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports.
1: Welcome back to the College Football Fix. Welcome to Sober October, at least for me. No, not for you?
0: Is that a thing? Is that like. It is a thing. Uh, no shave November? Is that a real thing? Am I sharing something that's dirty when I say No, 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 sh-
1: no shave November is a real thing. Okay. Right, January is a real thing. Oof. But I like Sober October.
0: Yeah, Sober October, that's great.
1: That's great. And it is a Sober October for Paul Crist at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Although, walking away with $11 million not to do anything would be pretty nice. Being a fired college football coach continues to be one of the best jobs in the entire world. Wisconsin making the move on Saturday, on Sunday to get rid of Paul Crist, as well as Carl Durrell at Colorado also out the fourth straight week, a power 5 schools made a coaching change. This is somewhat unprecedented, uh, but at this point cannot be surprising because this is just what college football teams do now.
0: It's still like the number itself is surprising like in a vacuum like have five power 5 guys fired in 5 weeks is like yeah, it's really shocking, but um you wrote the other day after Paul Chris got fired that the truth of the matter is schools are no longer afraid to say hey here's 11 million bucks and and please go home or, yeah. or just don't just don't come back in tomorrow so that's that's the new environment that we live in so that's wild that's the wildest part to me that you you throw a season away we'll talk about Wisconsin I don't think Wisconsin's throwing a season away and we'll we'll put them aside and just talk about the other four you the other four coaches you're throwing a season away and you're paying a guy to go away so that's the shocking new world we live in um, but Wisconsin obviously is unique
1: Although Georgia Tech fires Jeff Collins and then all of a sudden beats Pittsburgh last weekend. So yeah. it can also go the other way too.
0: Yeah, and and Nebraska beat um, uh, beat Indiana under our interim coach. Well, that wasn't his first game, but still. So there are some sometimes you can see a spark, but in the overwhelming majority of cases, you're throwing a year away and you're throwing a big chunk of money away too. So that's the world we live in, Dan. We we messed up. We should have been college football coaches. I don't know where I went wrong. I should have been I should have been a football coach. All
1: right, so let's talk about Wisconsin real quick. This was Sunday night kind of a bombshell to a lot of people, and I will admit that I was not expecting Wisconsin to actually make this move right now, but I will pat myself on the back a little bit because in our bold prediction section from last week, I had mentioned that my bold prediction was Wisconsin was going to lose at home to Illinois and that you would start to hear after that game, some Paul Christ hot seat discussion. And they did get beat at home 34 to 10. It was very ugly. And yes, there is a bit of added, I guess, vinegar to to that deal because it's, it's Brett Bielema and Brett Bielema leaves Wisconsin a decade ago for Arkansas and, a lot of people are still in their feelings about that. I, I, I don't know that that was the overriding storyline, to be honest with you. I think it was just Wisconsin had two rushing yards in the game. You know, And there's been games this year where Graham Mertz doesn't look like he's got anything going in the passing game. This is a game where they have nothing in the running game. Um, but you know, the way we sort of look at this stuff traditionally is that there's a sustained period of – downturn before a school makes a drastic move, especially with a guy like Paul Christ, who his first four years at Wisconsin were very, very good. You know, he had them in the Rose Bowl in 2019. Even last year, maybe it was a disappointing year in some ways. uh, They lost early, early, early to, I think, uh, Michigan and Ohio State and Notre Dame, you know, which were three really good teams. So that left them in a hole and their schedule was front loaded. But they ended up winning nine games last year. So it's not like Wisconsin had had this nosedive. But they clearly weren't good this year. There were concerns about personnel and recruiting and all that stuff. I think concerns about the offense because they just have not been plowing people at the line of scrimmage like Wisconsin teams normally do. And like Paul Christ has tried to build that program into. And I think this group... Running Wisconsin, including an athletic director in Chris McIntosh, who's, who's new to that position. This is not the Barry Alvarez Wisconsin anymore. So there's less patience. And I think their philosophy is one year too early rather than one year too late, and they just didn't like the direction it was going.
0: Yeah, it's fair to say that things have gotten a little bit stale. Um, my read on it, I remember going to Wisconsin in 2018 and then seeing them again that summer in Chicago. Yeah and the feeling around around the program in 2018 was this is our year. Like this is the year they're coming off a 13 and 1 season. And this was our year that we were going to really make a run at things. And they really believed that and I believed it too. I was one of the people who thought they could make the playoff that year. They went 8 and 5. I think they went 5 and 4 in the Big 10. And I'm not saying that that was like, you know, you get to 2022 and they're like, well, we're firing you for what happened in 2018. But I do think that there was a consensus within the leadership of that program that things needed to be shaken up and and like rejuvenated a bit. And we also need to talk about Jim Leonard. I think Jim Leonard's status as a candidate elsewhere um, obviously played a role here. And this is an audition, essentially, though I don't think it's like you need to go six and one audition. But you add those factors together um, and it's a difficult decision, but I think Wisconsin felt it was the right one. You know, so you pay him 11 million bucks down from 20, but you pay him in, you know, next March, there's no offsetting. Um, And I think it's, it's a disappointing end, I think, for Kristen for the program, because he's a local guy, they wanted to make it happen. But I do think that all these factors had come together to make it necessary right now to give Leonard the job, let him see, let them see how he does the rest of the way. So that's my read on it.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of sort of why now out there. And I think it's somewhat obvious that the first part you mentioned Jim Leonard has been their defensive coordinator he's been courted by NFL teams he turned down the Green Bay Packers I think last year and he was going to be a candidate for head coaching jobs this year or defensive coordinator at you know X SEC school that was going to be willing to pay him two million dollars so if you're Wisconsin he's an alum he's this bright, young, hot coach, you give him an opportunity. If Wisconsin turns it around a bit, he's clearly the favorite. You've also got the situation with Lance Leipold, who is absolutely crushing it at Kansas. He's 5-0. and He's got college game day going to Lawrence this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever would have imagined, right? So he was the coach at Wisconsin Whitewater. He went to school at Wisconsin Whitewater. He's got deep, deep ties in that state. He's also got deep ties in Nebraska. He was an assistant coach at Nebraska. He was an assistant coach at Nebraska Omaha. So that is a guy who would be squarely in the mix for the Nebraska job as well. So I think you are looking at this. It was as Wisconsin from their point of view and saying, okay, if, if Jim Leonard does not really work out or we don't like what we see, we need to be in on Lance Leipold early here before, Kansas has an opportunity to get something done, you know, or Nebraska has got an opportunity to get something done the first week of December or Kansas as well. It's very possible. Kansas keeps him with an extension. So I think those are probably the two main drivers. I I thought it was very interesting that Paul Christ, whose contract called for him to be paid over $19 million, close to $20 million, Mm -hmm. agreed to walk away with 11, uh, And I think the first impulse for me and a lot of people is why in the world would you leave nine million dollars on the table? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a somewhat simple explanation for that, which is he's getting basically the eleven million in one lump sum. Typically, when these when these coaches get fired, they just continue to get paid the way they would normally get paid. So you know, every two weeks that direct deposit is hitting their bank account, and it doesn't matter. You know, they could be sitting on a beach in you know, Mauritius, and <laughs> and it seems like a nice place. And <laughs> I'm um, to
0: think about Paul Chris, uh, I, I don't Chris think Paul go, Chris
1: would be in Mauritius.
0: He's a lake dude. He goes to the lake. He's an yeah. Idaho lake dude. So he's going to be in Coeur d'Alene, um, yeah, with eleven million bucks.
1: Well, there's definitely something like, to be there's definitely something to be said for for that lifestyle, right? You're you're sitting on a beach, a lake, or whatever, and that direct deposit just keeps coming in, you know, for however many years. But he took the eleven million, basically in one lump sum. He's going to get it basically by you know next February, and he's going to be free and clear of any obligation to mitigate, which is essentially what these schools do if they have to fire a coach. Like you know, Tennessee fires Butch Jones, or Arkansas when Arkansas fired Brett Bielema. This is actually relevant because it was a lawsuit. So when Arkansas fired Brett Bielema and paid him this buyout, Bielema went to go be like an analyst for the New England Patriots or something like that. For the Giants, yeah, that's right. I think, But the Patriots too. It was a couple teams.
0: Okay, you're right. Yeah, but in the NFL basically took a a grunt job because he was getting paid a couple million bucks to do nothing.
1: Right, so basically whatever they were paying him, let's say it was $50,000, whatever those NFL teams were paying him, that was offset against whatever Arkansas owed him. Right. So these schools do these buyouts. If there's mitigation, it presents a way for them to not get hit as hard with the buyout. Right. You know, so if you were making a if the buyout was basically three million a year and he got a job being paid one million a year, then Wisconsin would only owe two million a year. I know there's not supposed to be any math on this podcast, but that's about as simply as I can explain it. But in this case, there will be no mitigation. He gets the eleven million dollars done deal, he can go pursue another job next year and not have to worry about mitigation or paying anything to Wisconsin or anything like that. He's basically free and clear to hit the reset button. I don't know, like, putting pen to paper, if that was, like, the right financial move or the best financial move, but I totally understand why he would do that if he wants to coach, and it seems like he did, and it seems like he will because I think he's a good enough coach, has a good enough track record. He'll get hired somewhere else.
0: I do too. If I'm Paul Chris, do what I do, Dan? 11 million bucks, 11 million lottery tickets. 11 million lottery tickets.
1: Right you just away. try to turn that into 200 million.
0: What are the odds? Isn't it like one in 3.8 million that you win? <laughs> it's something like really bad. You got 11 million tickets. I mean, again, math is bad. You're guaranteed to win something.
1: Yeah. I roll but it over. But if it's not a big enough prize pool, and then you have to split it with like four people and then you put taxes in there, it might not work out well for you. It's a, it's a gamble. It's a gamble.
0: Life is a gamble. I put $11 million. I, I go to, I go to Reno and I just put $11 million on black 50, 50, 50, 50 that you get your money back. I don't know how the roulette uh, odds go. Much I don't
1: think there's any casino in Reno that would allow you to bet that much at once. Oh, oh, oh.
0: You're wrong. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. I could walk into any casino in the world and bet $11 million. I guarantee it.
1: At once on one spin of the roulette wheel?
0: Guarantee it. 100%. If I go in and say, I want to put $11 million down, they say, give us five minutes. They're calling their bank and they're getting that done. Absolutely. But Paul right, Chris not is not going to do that.
1: Sure. I'm not sure I buy that, but um, okay. Okay. All right.
0: This is why I have no money. I buy a lottery tickets. I don't actually I don't pay the lottery, but still. Anyway, Paul Chris will coach again, uh, and he'll have eleven million dollars in the bank. Actually, he'll have about six
1: yeah, million dollars. He's going to take some taxes out for sure. Yeah. Let me ask you this: so Nebraska and Wisconsin both open. What's interesting about that is. For all these years of Nebraska being so mediocre in the Big Ten, this has been sort of the conversation, not necessarily, oh, can Nebraska ever get back to what they were in the 80s and 90s? I I think we know the answer to that is, is no. But can Nebraska be as good as Wisconsin? Or why isn't Nebraska as good of a program or winning as high of a level as Wisconsin in their own division? when if you just sort of line up the pluses and minuses of each place it seems like those are two pretty similarly situated programs so which job is better and if you were let's just say you were Lance Leipold which one do you think you would want Mm,
0: great great the second question is a really great question so I texted you this yesterday because I was writing the. I, I want to talk about the five jobs. And I was hoping you would just say immediately a great answer, <laughs> but we, it's hard. I think in the in the day to day, and I and I would think you agree. Wisconsin's the better job today, like today. Wisconsin's the better job in a widescreen view. I think Nebraska's a better job. I think they can pay more. They're better situated with nil. For some coaches, the appeal of the rebuild is a, is a really strong one. At Wisconsin, even without Alvarez there, you might always be under the shadow of, well, you're just inheriting this foundation and you're carrying it forward and maybe you have a too big an ego to want that. So Wisconsin today, Nebraska big picture. I know that's hedging. For Lance Leipold, it's the same situation, I think. Wisconsin would be a great situation for him because he can walk right in change that offense up, revolutionize it or evolve it maybe, and really be successful from the start. I think he's a great fit like day one, probably the best fit day one that they can really get. But Lance Leipold is so drawn to the nitty gritty rebuild, fingerprints lay the foundation that Nebraska might have more of an appeal to him, especially if there's an extra million dollars involved. I would take Wisconsin. I think he would take Wisconsin, but I don't think we can overlook the appeal of a Nebraska 2-light pole because he could put his fingerprints on it.
1: I think most people in our business and people we know and are friends with, if you just did a straw poll, I think it would be about 80-20 Wisconsin. Yeah, I think that I would be the, the breakdown. I think it's a coin flip. Mm-hmm. I really do because – we have this sort of recency bias about how bad was uh, how bad Nebraska's been for the last decade, ever since the Bo Pelini thing. And I, I do think, like Bo Pelini getting run out of there, maybe maybe colors people's perception of of how crazy it is or how high the expectations are. But it's been a long time since the Bo Pelini era, and I do think maybe this last decade has given. Nebraska fans maybe a little more perspective on on what they should expect and and what is capable what they are capable of achieving, and frankly, probably more appreciation for the next guy who comes in there and wins nine games.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I think from a resource fan base, you know, standpoint, quality of life. Facilities like I, I don't really see any difference. I see no difference at all. I think the one thing that is maybe in Wisconsin's favor a little bit is just they're they're slightly better geographically positioned in recruiting. And I think that 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 would be the differentiator. But at the same time, I do think I do think Nebraska's got the, a little higher ceiling if you get the right person.
0: Yes, and I think Nebraska's NIL package and offerings kind of blow to Wisconsin out of the water. They're like a year, year or so ahead of Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's big collective just launched in September, um, so you got a big advantage there. And I think that mitigates to a degree the recruiting edge for Wisconsin. But you got to admit, easier to recruit was to Wisconsin than to Nebraska right now. So that maybe that's still a little bit of an edge to Wisconsin. Nebraska's got new facilities coming in. It's a coin flip. I think if you look at it from both perspectives, you can go either way. It's like 51 49 to me for Wisconsin. I mean, if you're a head coach and you're looking for a power five job, you get one shot at it. Maybe you don't want to go to Nebraska because this is your one shot. So maybe you take Wisconsin. I don't think you can fault a guy either way if you're a light pole. You, this is not, there's no wrong decision here, I think, of those two jobs.
1: And sort of the interesting sidebar to all this is, What's happening at Illinois right now? You know, Illinois, and it is funny in a way that that Bielema, and Bielema wasn't fired at Wisconsin. If you remember, he just sort of walked out the door and, and went to Arkansas, but um, he's got it rolling right now at Illinois, four and one, and that was a very impressive performance because they kind of play like his Nebraska teams used to play, and they just bullied those guys and. You know, Bielema, I thought that was a, a good hire, a good gamble for Illinois because you were just buying incredibly low on Bielema, and the Illinois program was so far down under Lovey Smith that it kind of had to go up. There was nowhere else really for, for that thing to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some people who believe that Illinois is like some sleeping giant. I really don't believe that, but I do think we're seeing – under Bielema, that, that that can be maximized. What they have there can be maximized to be very competitive within that division.
0: Yeah, Burt was a four-letter word at Wisconsin, or still is for a long time. I mean, in, in, in two ways. Um, but I think Wisconsin looked at what he did the other day, and I, I don't think that was like the, fi- it was the final straw, but obviously this this thing was kind of in the works. He's doing at Illinois what he did at Wisconsin. It's a physical team. They went up front, they run the ball, and they stopped the run. At least they did against Wisconsin. So I love the way they play. It's simplistic, um, but obviously very effective. And, and you nailed it about the hire. It was, it's a high-floor hire. And I think a lot of ADs and a lot of schools don't look at high-floor hires because they're so blinded by the high-ceiling, low-floor yeah. guys. So b low was a really sharp hire. Clearly in a different world. Yeah, he's somewhere else. He's not in the Big Ten. He's a heavy candidate, I think, for a place like Nebraska because he gets the job done in this environment, in this setting. He's not going back to Wisconsin, obviously, but he's done a really nice job. I hope he stays at Illinois and sees it through because the Big Ten West is so wide open. I think he can build a team and a program that on the regular can be five and four, six and three in the Big Ten West and, and maybe play for one or two titles. So I'd love to see him stick around. I think he will because I don't really know. Outside the Big Ten, what Power Five League is going to hire a Belama? So I think he's stuck at Illinois. Stuck is the wrong thing to say. He and Illinois are together for a while, I think, and I hope. I, I think he's going to do a nice job there the next two or three years.
1: Heck, he may play for a Big Ten title this year. Absolutely. The Big Ten West is just, wild. Whoo. Yeah, I mean, Northwestern's not a factor, and, and there are some years where they've been a factor when all these other teams are down. Iowa's obviously down right now. They're just, they can't score um Nebraska, you know, maybe they're pulling it together a little bit, but they're not gonna be a factor. So yeah, like they have a shot they're as good a shot as anyone right now.
0: I was willing to give it to Minnesota if they had beaten Purdue like basically yeah. like they're gonna win it. so six teams at one and one and the one team that's zero and two is Wisconsin and we know that they can rebound. So it's gonna go down to the wire, I think in this division. It's gonna be fun. But again, it's it's meaningless. It's a Big 12 North situation. Like the, the winner of this game or the winner of this division is going to lose by 50 to Ohio State or Michigan in December. So who cares?
1: <laughs> All right. So since we are the College Football Fix podcast brought to you by USA Today Sports, we take time every week to run down the USA Today Sports AFCA coaches poll. And there was a somewhat interesting development that we need to talk about, which is Alabama has usurped Georgia again as the number 1 team. And Alabama did not exactly have an easy time of it last weekend. Uh, it was a game against Arkansas on the road where uh, they kind of were they they seemed like they were cruising and then Bryce Young gets hurt with a shoulder injury that we don't know a whole lot about at the moment, uh, but does not seem to be, you know, anything that's that's going to be too limiting for him and then they end up sort of falling apart for a stretch of that game and it looked like Arkansas had a real chance to come back and and maybe win it and then boom a couple plays Alabama's got total control again so that was an interesting performance but they are back at number one Georgia is down to number two after a second straight week where they just kind of looked very mortal against uh, missouri it was a game that i would not i was not anticipating spending a whole lot of time on but all of a sudden in the second quarter of that game they're down 16 to 3 and you're kind of like what's going on here <laughs> eventually georgia got it back together and and won but it was you know 26 22 against a missouri team that had lost to auburn the week before what do we make of this because you know, we thought we kind of had this this all figured out and I think we know that I think we know that that Alabama and Georgia, however you want to rank them or whatever you think, they're they're both in the top tier of teams. But I definitely have more questions about Georgia right now than than it looked like we were going to have a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I disagree with the poll. I thought they'd stay number 1. I still would have kept them number 1. I'm surprised for the main reason that it's weird to kind of debunk a team or question a team for winning on the road in the SEC, whether against Missouri or not. So anyway, I would have kept him number one. Who cares? Um, I wonder, Dan, do you think this is a little bit of – I don't? there's no word for it. I'm going to call it Alabama syndrome. It's not a real thing. It's like defending national champ syndrome. You absolutely have a historic season. You have a great month. Maybe you have a little rat poison and then you come out flat and then you realize like maybe Alabama did at 28, 23, wait a minute. We're a lot better than this. We're a lot better than our opponent. Let's just do what we got to do, which is what Georgia did the last like seven minutes. What do you make of that? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to overrate this game. It's a meaningless game. Every team every year has a game like this when they win the national championship or two or three games. Clemson was notorious for this. I just don't want to put too much into the game. It's interesting that they're one, two. I still think Georgia's the best team in the country. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with you, except for the fact that the week before they had this game against Kent State where they just looked like they were kind of bored and going through the motions. And that's totally understandable as well, as is going on the road to Missouri and having one of those games where it just sort of doesn't click and and you got to kind of grind your way through it. Those two things can happen to a national championship team in any given season. But where it sort of does get weird for me is after the Kent State game, you just would have figured, all right, that was that, and Kirby is going to have their attention all week long. He's going to go ballistic in practice, and they're going to be on edge and raring to go at Missouri because that's just the way this is supposed to work, right? And it just didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think people are, are maybe questioning things a little bit is just the back-to-back nature of those two performances.
0: Yeah. My, my thought coming out of the, coming out of that game and going into the next week or so is, will we see a little bit of a different approach on offense from Georgia than what we saw? I think at least I was struck in September and through Kent state or, or through September rather um, just how rightfully so they had put the offense into Stetson Bennett's hands and let him take so much more control of things. I mean, not just in terms of what you see, but just statistically, he's like averaging 30 attempts in September, up from 20 last year, just a huge workload increase. He was really bad in the first half against Missouri, not his fault. I think he was under duress. He was harassed. Much better in the second. But obviously, this win, at least like the closure of it, was sealed with the fact that they said, let's just run the ball in Missouri and pound it down their throat, or let's give like Stetson the easiest throws possible. I wonder if they go back to last year's offense a little bit, certainly when they get into October, November. wouldn't surprise me at all if they did. Um, I wonder what their best pathway to success is on offense. I, it probably won't be the rest of the way what we saw in September.
1: The, pr- the problem is their offensive line really did a poor job in that game against Missouri. I mean, mm-hmm. Stetson Bennett got hit a lot. He was under duress every time he dropped back to pass. So I think if there's anything that Georgia's got to figure out how to fix, it's it's that. You know, yeah. and, and maybe it was just a bad game from their offensive line, but but I, I don't think they will be able to run the table on this thing if their offensive line is is the weakness of their team.
0: Alabama last year without Bryce yeah. Young under center. It's a, it's a big deal. Defense is better, obviously, than, than I think uh, Alabama's was last year. Not obviously, but I think the defense is still really, really good. But, yeah, that was Alabama's issue last year. Bryce Young bailed them out time and time again and I don't know if Stetson Bennett, he's awesome, what a career, great story. I don't know if they want to be put into a situation where he's got to bail them out every week. So, warning sign on Georgia. Let's just keep track of this as we go on. Let's see their line play in the next couple weeks.
1: Ohio State stays number three. They're rolling right now. Michigan stays number four. Michigan's season has just been really boring, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. (laughs) I mean, they go into into Iowa last week, and – it really was like nothing for them, you know. Nope. And it, but and it wasn't like they went out there and stomped them fifty-five to seven. It was just a very super controlled, grab the lead early and kind of just hold them a couple scores at bay for the last thirty minutes of that game.
0: Yeah, that was what uh, people in the business call a dad strength game. You know, dad yeah. strength. Like where you just kind of like keep your 19-year-old son at bay in a in a pickup basketball game with set shots. Dad's strength for Michigan. But I'll say this about Michigan. You're absolutely right. They are quiet. Nobody cares. Nobody's watching. They've looked good, I think. I think they looked good. Not great, but good. And certainly in Big Ten play, they've been good. Uh, my basic point is, which I have which this is a terrible way to get to it, at the end of the year. I think we'll look at Maryland and Iowa as eight-win teams, maybe nine-win teams. I think these are two really, really solid wins to start Big Ten play. Not flashy, but solid. They're in position to get done what they got done last year and play for a national championship.
1: Number five is Clemson, and are we believing in Clemson again? That is, I yes. think, the key question coming out of their 30-20 to 20 win against NC State. We're believing in Clemson again.
0: I am believing in Clemson again. That 30 to 20 score is a little bit misleading. I think uh, dad strength again, game control. Yeah. Um, What I think is interesting about Clemson, uh, if you look at the bigger picture through five games, offensively, quarterback play, this looks a lot like how they looked in 1918, maybe not 16 with Deshaun, but it looks a lot like they did uh, uh, with Trevor Lawrence in terms of their production at quarterback, production on offense. Defense has been questionable. But what I like, Dan, is they've won two really good games against two really good teams, kind of playing two different styles of football. You want a physical game against a like a team that's strong and tough, Midwestern ethos from Dave Doran. You beat a shootout game against a really talented offensive mind and, and Dave Kloss and Wake Forest. So I'm a believer again. I would even put them number four this week. I, I wouldn't dispute that Michigan deserves it, but they've made a case for being in the top four. Certainly they're a lot for number five. And as we'll get into right now, from number five or number six onwards, uh, you see a, a precipitous drop in, in uh, what we think about these teams and what we've seen from these teams.
1: Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning the last couple of weeks, DJ Uyunglele has quieted the talk that he needs to be replaced. He's been really good, you know, 21 of 30, no interceptions. He's he's running the ball. He's not the most natural runner, but he's, he's running it effectively, 14 carries, 73 yards. You know, I'm not sure how how amazing NC State is, but certainly for Clemson, back to back beating Wake Forest on the road, beating Clemson at home, uh, that, that's that's key for them because you know the rest of their schedule just is not. It's not really that tough, so you you can feel pretty good about them going into the ACC championship game with with maximum one loss.
0: Oh, maximum! I think at this point. I mean, they have their Syracuse-Pitt games. That's Clemson for you, but I think they're like 50-50. They're going to run the table, honestly, based on that schedule. They could lose, but uh, the way they've played, the player, the teams they play the rest of the way, including the team they'll play in early December, uh, they've got a really good shot at running it. They really do.
1: All right, number six, USC. They won at Arizona State, a game I did not stay up to watch because why would I? Um uh... Number seven, Oklahoma State. They beat Baylor. And, you know, it was the first time I had really gotten a chance to sit down and, and watch them for a significant stretch against a quality opponent, um, mostly because they had not really played uh, a quality opponent to, to this point in the year. But I was really impressed, really impressed. And they're up to number seven, 36 25 win in Waco. The thing about this team Obviously, Spencer Sanders is playing really good football at the quarterback position, and you know he's been around a long time now. But it's really their defense, you know, and there was questions about, okay, Jim Knowles leaves. Is They had a great defense last year. Is it going to be the same? And I just thought they looked really fast and physical, and I thought they really gave Baylor a lot of trouble. I think when you look at the Big 12, which is very deep in quality teams, to me, that was a game that put Oklahoma State into a tier all on their own within that league. I think they're the clear favorite now to win that conference and, and maybe you know, maybe get to the playoff, which they came up just short of last year.
0: Yeah, uh, quickly on Baylor, I don't want to second guess Dave Aranda. I think the decision to start shaping over Bohanan and definitely to do so in the spring is the right one. It'll be the right one, certainly like in November and going forward, but their offense is, is really, really struggling right now. So it played into Oklahoma state's hands, um, quality win, quality win. I just don't think that Baylor's right now, the second best team in the big 12. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say that Oklahoma state's going to cruise. to this thing, um, Spencer Sanders is a good story. There are a couple good quarterback stories in the Big Twelve. Adrian Martinez, Jalen Daniels. Spencer Sanders last year, um, the way he ended that year against Baylor with four picks in the Big Twelve Championship game, he had a long, long, long winter, long offseason. So he's rebounded and I think he's carried that offense into a better place. Oklahoma State should be number six in the poll, but I'm just I'm not quite ready to like buy in on him. I understand what you're saying. It was an impressive win. I just I'm going to pump the brakes a bit. I want to see him play. Kansas State. I want to see him play Texas. I want to see him eventually play Oklahoma. But uh, they're a good team. They're very good. Just yeah, it's and, soon for
1: me. And that's the reality is it's, it's just going to be hard to go undefeated in the Big Twelve. There's just a lot of landmines on that schedule. Number eight Tennessee. Number nine Ole Miss. They beat Kentucky at home. Twenty two nineteen was a great atmosphere in a, a very good, entertaining game. However, uh, and I give. Ole miss a lot of credit for winning, but that was a giveaway by Kentucky. Kentucky Absolutely. should have won that game.
0: You make your own luck, Dan. Still, what two in uh, a two red zone turnovers, including that one very late. They missed an extra point. They missed a field goal.
1: Short field goal.
0: Yeah, and I'm missing one other. Th- one other. Mess there, was up. there was a safety. There was safety. Yeah. I mean, credit will Miss. Credit Lane Kiffin. I mean. You stick around close with Kentucky. You take advantage of their mistakes. You capitalize. Oh, Kentucky! If you're going to miss a New Year's Six bowl because you cough this one up, it, it's it's a rough one.
1: It's well, rough and one. on the on the last drive, Kentucky had a touchdown to take the lead, but they got called for a penalty because Will Levis uh, didn't allow the uh, running back to get set.
0: Yeah, you know, right. so
1: it was like an illegal shift. So there was just a lot of things that happened in the last few minutes of that game. Kentucky absolutely should have won, but nevertheless, Ole Miss is up to number nine. Penn State's number 10, Utah 11. They smashed uh, Oregon State in the fourth quarter. Number 12 is Oregon. Kentucky down to 13, NC State 14, Wake Forest 15, uh, rebounding up six spots. very good win for them to go into Florida state. I was excited about Florida state. I thought they had a good chance to, to win that game and make a statement at home. They didn't embarrass themselves, but they, they just kind of made a few more mistakes and got themselves in a hole and and their defense played well in the second half, but in the first half, Wake Forest kind of did what they wanted. And and it just was too much for, for Florida state to overcome. Um, I'm not sure if we need to talk about either of those teams, but, you know, Wake Forest is, is definitely, uh, you know, th- they could end up in a New Year's Six ball. They sh- they probably should.
0: Yeah, I think so. If they win that NC State game, they're almost, not almost certainly, but they're going to be in great position to do it. Yeah, I would say real quick on Florida State, Then I don't know um, if you agree on this. I still look at this game in a strange sense as a sign of progress. Um, Wake Forest is in a better place. They're like a year or two years ahead of where Florida State wants to be. Yeah. They, just, they just are. Yeah. So to play them tight, to have a shot, to rally into position where you could have maybe had that game maybe in the second half. I think that's still weird to say. Florida State, moral victory, maybe. Moral, moral. Is that what we call it? Why did I just have a brain fart? we call those moral victories? Yeah, of course, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think that was a moral victory. though. No,
0: but it's in the ballpark of one. I think you could take positives away from it. That's it.
1: Fair enough. Number sixteen is BYU. Number seventeen is Kansas. They uh, they had to really kind of grind one out uh, this past week because uh, it was an ugly game. You know, they they end up winning at fourteen to eleven over Iowa State. I think Matt Campbell, you know, Iowa State loses a ton of close games, a ton mm-hmm. of close games, and this was another example. Matt Matt Campbell played for a field goal at the end rather than a touchdown. They end up missing the field goal and that's that, but Kansas is five and and hosting game day <laughs> this week. As we mentioned, it's just wild.
0: It's uh, bizarre. It's a bizarre. It's like, uh, it's like the, uh, um, like the multiverse, you know, this multiverse thing that we like all these Marvel movies. The yeah. Multiverse? I
1: don't really know too much about it. I, I try to kind of avoid it. <sighs> of course you do.
0: Anyway. Uh, it's almost like someone, uh, we've branched off into a different universe, into a different timeline, you know, because that's what it feels like happening when we're talking about KU being 5-0. and oh. It just blows my mind. This was a win that was unlike any, I mean, any win for 10 years, but certainly different than the first four. It was a gutted out, grind it out, you know, play it close, field position, capitalize on opportunities kind of game. That's not the way that they've won their first four, so... Kansas is not just going to a bowl game. They're like smack in the middle of top 25. I, I just can't. I just can't. I don't have the com- computational power in my, in my brain to understand what the hell is going on here, Dan. I just don't get it.
1: Well, they've got a big one this week coming up with the next team in the poll, which is TCU, uh, number 18. We will save Oklahoma Talk for a few minutes from now when we get through the poll, but they... Absolutely dismantled Oklahoma, 55-24, launches them from out of the rankings all the way up to number eighteen. In Sonny Dyke's first season there, they are elite offensively. You know, yeah. Max Duggan is a guy that we've heard a lot about for a long time, and obviously the results the last couple years under Gary Patterson were were not there, and that's why he's not the coach anymore. But he was always a guy people thought of as as a really talented quarterback and in this offense it seems like it's just melding very well very quickly
0: Sonny Dykes is such a good football coach and he's such a great offensive mind um, I think we both thought and a lot of people agreed TCU was not like hadn't run off the rails it wasn't like this was a dumpster fire so he's doing a nice job maybe a little bit better than expected We'll get into this game maybe a little bit more sneak preview of my thoughts. I think TCU drops an absolute bomb on Kansas. I just don't think they can defend TCU. I think they win by mm-hmm. like 21. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but TCU is a nice story. Uh, it speaks to the depth of the Big 12 that TCU is 4-0 as a team that we picked to finish in the bottom half of the division, maybe at 6-6, and 7-5. and It's a topsy-turvy league with a lot of really, really good teams, at least a lot of really exciting teams, and TCU might be the most exciting one of them all.
1: Number nineteen is UCLA. Chip Kelly's finally happening after all this time. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and they go out last Friday night and they beat Washington at home, forty to thirty-two, and it was a really good offensive performance. Five hundred yards of offense, and you know DTR is uh, he's he's playing really good football, you know, and and you know another one of these guys. I mean. He's been in that offense for a long time. You expect, you should expect it to look this good, but it just hadn't. And now it is. And you know, they they've got some they've got some talented players on offense and you know, it's it's been kind of a sad scene over at UCLA like when you look at the crowd and the attendance and you know all that stuff, but I'm I mean I'm hoping that that now that they're five and zero and finally showing some signs of life, that, that we can talk about them a little more. Because, you know, I've just always, I've, I've, never understood why UCLA. There's no reason for them to be bad. There really isn't.
0: No one's going to show. Anyway, it's a shame. Um, I had a UCLA like number 19 in my preseason poll. I'm, a, I'm really smart, and I've got them like number nine right now. Why, why did no one else see them? Like, I was looking at our top 25 coming into the weekend. They had like they were like receiving four votes, like four votes. I didn't get it. This is what he was building for Chip. This is not like, you know, the Oregon team that played for a national title. They're not going to go 12 and one, but he had rebuilt the roster. He had his quarterback. They've got better depth. He've recruited all these guys, his guys. This was a no brainer top 25 team. And this is probably a nine win team, if not even 10 wins. So they're going places. Uh, no one's going to go to the games, but if you're sitting at home and you got a chance to watch UCLA, I hope people watch them because they're pretty good. I think you'll like what you see.
1: Number twenty is Kansas State, twenty-one Syracuse, twenty-two Baylor, twenty-three Mississippi State. They they torch Texas A&M. I mean, if you're Texas A&M, and we can, I guess we can just talk about them. We we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. You're looking at Mike Leach in, in year four versus Jimbo in year five, and, like, Mississippi State looks a whole lot better.
0: <laughs> yep. Mississippi State looks like a team and a program that knows who they are. They know what they do. They know what they Actually, play. I think
1: it's it's year three. It's not even year four. I think it's year three, right? No, it's, it's
0: four. Wasn't he? Oh, no, you're right. His first year was COVID. Yeah. So year three for Leach. So year three, one of them – his first year, like the most important building year, a COVID year. And they are in a far, 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 far better place in Texas A&M. Not just better on the field. They're just in a better place, period. For a lot less money. For a lot less money. So that's a wake-up, not a wake-up call. It's just another slap in the face. If you're an A&M fan watching your team get smoked by Mississippi State. A Mississippi State team that is way closer in their rebuilding or rebuilding project than AM is.
1: Right, just, just real quick so we can focus more on AM here. Twenty-four Washington, twenty-five Arkansas. Th- that's your top twenty five. Um no, this is awful for for Texas AM. I mean, they were lucky to beat Miami. I don't want to say lucky. It was a game that could have easily been lost. Mm-hmm. They were lucky to beat Arkansas a field goal hits the top of the upright or else they lose that one. And they are now three and two. I mean, they're back in the, the eight and four, seven and five range. This is who they are. Yeah. They've got Alabama this week and, and they're going to lose to Alabama bigly, big, (laughs) big, bigly. Yep. Um, the whole storyline of Jimbo and Saban going at it over the summer is like not even much of a topic now because nobody looks at this game as as competitive you know if, if am was sitting here five and0 oh, this would be the game of the century but now we know what am is <laughs> right and they're they're, they're not good they're, ter- they're, they're they're very mediocre they they offensively are just adrift pretty much and yeah like that just looked very easy for Mississippi State.
0: I wonder how many of our peers booked flights to this game several months ago and hotels and now have to watch this terrible, terrible game and this absolute slaughter that's probably going to happen. Probably quite a bit, maybe, in the environment that we live in. Uh, What if Bryce Young doesn't play? I know we're going to talk about this game. you still think that Alabama is going to roll over A&M, or is that contingent of Bryce Young being under center?
1: No, I think I think they will they will roll them. I mean, first of all, you know, Alabama, Bryce Aaron or not, has better players, right? And I think they're a better coach. I think Jalen Milroe who came in and, and finished that Arkansas game, uh showed that he's a pretty talented player. Yeah, he can play. You
0: How know, about that run, think? Dan? That seventy seven yeah. yard run on well, third that. and fifteen. That, was that turned the whole game
1: because if, yeah. if they don't get a first down there, Arkansas gets the ball and, you know, then it could get a really, really hairy for, yeah. for Alabama. But so that was a spectacular, just game changing effort by, by Milrow, but uh, he, he's, he's, he's going to be really good. And if he is the guy who's got to go out there and play, like Alabama's going to spend all week. I think Saban even said it. Saban's kind of doing the thing where he's getting mad at the media for like things that aren't even a big deal, which is fine. <laughs> but he actually did say something that I think is relevant here, which is, all right, if, if, you know, Jalen's got to be the guy who goes out and plays, well, there are things that they know he can do well, and they're just going to spend all week practicing those things. So like, I think it's going to be fine. Right. Obviously you'd rather have Bryce Young in there, but either way, how is, how is going to score enough to make this a game?
0: Yeah, I think that's the that's the issue for me, and I obviously can't speak for that fan base, which is which is up in arms. But the problem I have with A and M is not being three and two and like slumping and just losing and, and and dropping two games. This happens. It sucks. It's disappointing. It's obviously it's it's all about the offense and the way they look on offense. That to me is so troubling and so distressing. And says so much about the future of the program. If they don't make a change, it just seems unbelievably easy right now to say that the next step is for a m to spend 1.5, 1.8, whatever ridiculous amount of money to give over the control of the offense. Jimbo Fisher can no longer be an offensive coordinator in this league. He can't be an offensive coordinator for a team that wants to win a national championship because we were saying three, four, five years ago that the offensive game had passed him by. He has not evolved. And now you're seeing a team that with the talent they have not being able to produce as an indictment of the scheme, indictment of, of the offensive philosophy and gameplay.
1: Well, this is the thing. All you hear is a owes Jimbo Fisher too much money to get rid of him. No That's such thing. All you hear. I don't think there is such a thing. And no. I, think it's, I think it's dumb to say that. I think it's naive to say that. Certainly, the fact that he's owed 80-whatever-million dollars is a big problem. For, for Texas A&M. And I don't think they'll fire him this year. But, yeah, like, I think the next move for this program is, all right, Jimbo, you are not running this offense anymore. We are going to go pay $1.5 to $2 million to go get, you know, name your offensive coordinator, whoever's hot, coming out of this season, and, and we're going to give him the offense. And then if it still doesn't go well next year, then I think you you could see something. I, I don't think they're linked for the next five years because this is already five years of, of mostly mediocre football. What are you just going to allow him to go like eight, nine, ten years of going eight eight and four? No way. There's no way they're going to do that.
0: Let me say something controversial. I understand it's Jimbo Fisher, and maybe you don't want to you know give Jimbo Fisher ten years to do anything, uh, but. Um, if A&M, if I was, as a neutral observer, A&M should be happy with nine wins a year for, for the next 10 years. A&M is one of those programs. Like Wisconsin or even like Nebraska, like we said, even though they're they're crappy. If you can say we're going to win nine games a year for 10 years, take it. Take it. This is who you are. Like, this is who A&M is. That's better than who they are historically. Not Maybe not. That's right who they are. Eight wins, nine wins a year. So I wouldn't fire Jimbo just for going eight and four or nine and four. I would fire him because he had every opportunity to go ten and three, eleven and two, and didn't. Because he's recruited talent to the program. But to say that they're unhappy because they're going eight and four, period, like no other nuance, I think that's not right because this is who they are.
1: That's just who they are. Yeah, but it's not who you are when you get the greatest recruiting class of all time.
0: Right. Right, and it's not who you are when you hire Jimbo Fisher under the pretense that you're going to get 2013, 14, 15 Jimbo Fisher, not 2017 Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's 2017 Jimbo Fisher, but the results are 2017 Jimbo Fisher, and we know that he mailed in that last season at Florida State. So what are we seeing? Is it just because the SEC is so tough? Maybe. I mean, that might be just the simple answer, but clearly the offense needs to be like thrown out the window and completely redone, and he's not the guy to do it. The guy to do it is at another school right now. Whether it's Kendall Bryles, whoever your SEC coordinator is, someone else needs to come in and fix this thing, Dan.
1: Well, it maybe uh, maybe Jeff Levy because uh, his his current situation is <laughs> not, not going so well.
0: Not good, Dan. What do you, what do you? It's only one game. I mean, they lost one game, two games. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, but it's a, for those for those who don't know, we're talking about Oklahoma here.
0: Talk about Oklahoma. We weren't saying I said one game because we weren't saying fire, not fire Jeff Levy, but make changes after Kansas State. But you think after last weekend and about the way that that game unfolded, uh, what's wrong with Oklahoma? What can be fixed this season? Yeah. is it even possible to fix it this season?
1: I, I don't think it's possible to fix this season. You know, I thought uh, our friend Andy Staples had an interesting take in the Athletic over the weekend, which is basically that maybe this kind of thing needed to happen to Oklahoma right now to sort of make them understand what how, how far away they are when they go into the SEC probably in two years, right? What they need to do from a personnel standpoint to, to be ready to compete in that league because, you know, I think even the Lincoln-Riley teams mostly – there, there was obviously the team with with, with Baker that, that could have won a national championship um, because he was just amazing. But even those other teams from Oklahoma that made the playoff, once they got there and they faced, you know, LSU or faced Alabama, it, it showed them a pretty clear talent gap. But if you're Oklahoma, you can kind of look at that and say, oh, you know, yeah, but, you know, but we're still this. We're still, you know, making the playoff and – now it looks more like a crisis. Now it looks more like, all right, we are not the program we think we are, and we need to find a way to do that. Now the question is, is Brent Venables going to be the guy that that gets him there? Brent Venables clearly knows what, it, what it's supposed to look like. He knows what the players – he knows what kind of players you need to win national championships because he did it at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, right now, like, the defense, which is his baby – is a disaster, absolute disaster. That was embarrassing, embarrassing on every level against TCU. They were absolutely getting roasted every play. TCU did whatever they wanted. And if you're Oklahoma, you know, hiring a first-time head coach, I would have to have some concern about what you've seen so far. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think the difference is Kansas State felt winnable. TCU was a bloodbath, right? TC was was not competitive. And you talk about Oklahoma's losses for the last for the Riley era at least. Yeah, they lost those two games early in COVID year. They started 0-2 in the Big Twelve before, but when they lose games 55-27, it's to Alabama. It's to George well, they didn't lose to Georgia like that, but it's to Alabama. It's to Clemson. It's in big games against the best of the best. So I'm concerned. I'm not concerned so much about Venables. I, I do think he's the right guy to shepherd them through this transition because he's seen how he's been in games and won in games against the best of the SEC. I think he understands how to win those matchups, and I think knowing how to win those matchups tells you what you need to get to win those matchups. What sort of players you need? What, quarter, what sort of players fit this game you need to win in that league? At least I hope so. Having said that, they're 3-2 and two right now, Dan. And they haven't played Baylor, they haven't played Oklahoma State, they haven't played Texas, even who they'll play on Saturday. Um, this could be a six and six team, it could be a seven and five team legitimately. They haven't had that since Stoop's first year, you know. So that's the concern. And and if even if you believe in Venables, a lot of damage can be done to a tenure at a place like Oklahoma, considering who you recruit and who you recruit against, if you go six and seven your first year. It's not an insurmountable hole, Dan, but I, I think you agree it's it's a tough place to get out of for a lot of guys.
1: It's a it's a rough start, and certainly a lot of the focus, you know, and I wrote about it in the misery index. Hiring Ted Roof as defensive coordinator was mm. bizarre; it made no sense. I mean, Ted Roof has been around a long time, and you know, it's not like he's regarded as some genius at this point. We all think it's Venables running the defense, but you know, there may have to be some some scapegoating. That goes on. Interesting situation to watch. Not real positive right now.
0: Go ahead. Love his glasses. Just I was going to say Ted Roof wears a sweet pair of glasses, uh, and
1: looks he looks like Steve Martin.
0: He looks like Steve Martin. I didn't. I didn't really see that personally. I know that on he was Steve Martin. I think was trending on Saturday, and it was because Ted Roof looks like Steve Martin. I didn't. I didn't quite see it, but I like the glasses.
1: All right. Let's go to week six. Talk about the games coming up. I like the noon window. It's a good noon window. Michigan mm-hmm. at Indiana. Shouldn't be a problem for Michigan. Tennessee at LSU. Tennessee's a three-point favorite. LSU's playing better. Brian Kelly has uh, got them to 4-1. and one. They have erased a couple double-digit deficits. Um, I actually kind of think LSU might pull the mini-upset here.
0: I agree. I'm going to pick LSU in this game. It's a gut call. I've seen LSU three times. I watched a lot of them on Saturday. I think they've gotten better. The Their quarterback play, it's very, very it's, not good. It's not great. Yeah. So that keeps me awake at night when you go against Hendon Hooker, who's so dang good. But, yeah, I'm picking LSU. I, I can't even tell you why, Dan. Maybe you're the same way. I just have a feeling. I think they win like a 28-24 game, 28-23 game.
1: Yeah, it's same way, gut feeling, and just kind of sets up as a good spot for LSU. TCU-Kansas also in the noon window. We talked a little bit about it. You like TCU big. Yeah. I like TCU as well. I think that offense is humming. You've got Arkansas at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's an eight-point favorite. Can Arkansas bounce back?
0: I think Arkansas can bounce back. Eight just feels like a hell of a lot. I know Mississippi State is playing well. um, But I I like Arkansas in this game because I like their ability to – I don't want to say control the clock because that's an antiquated idea. I just like their uh, their ability to control the flow of the game and control the tempo of the game. Um, I think their physicality plays well against these sorts of opponents, these sorts of matchups. So I'm actually just going to pick Arkansas outright to win this game. Okay.
1: okay. Um, Missouri-Florida, another good SEC matchup. Florida's an 11-point favorite. And then, of course, you've got Red River at the Cotton Bowl – Texas, Oklahoma, Texas is a seven-point favorite. I mean, based on what we've seen so far, I think you've got to go Texas here.
0: Yeah, I think they've earned being the seven-point favorite. If they play like they did in the first 35 minutes against West Virginia, I'm not saying it's going to be 55-27, but they could put some points up on Oklahoma. So I'm going to take UT. That's weird to say, Dan. I would not have said that back in August. No way. But I'm going to take Texas to beat Oklahoma. Last time Texas or last time OU was 0 and 3 in the Big 12, I'd have to think about. I know 0 and 2 in 2020. 0 and 2 I think in Stoops first year back in 99. So I'd say 03 probably sometime under John Blake, if not before that. If not Schnellenberger or or shoot, Chuck Fairbanks, however far back you want to go. It's it's going to be a hell of a moment if they're sitting 0 and 3 at the bottom of the of the Big 12.
1: 3.30 window Eastern. Uh, the CBS game is Auburn, Georgia. Georgia's a 30-point favorite. And a lot of people are surprised that Brian Harson has not been fired yet at Auburn. Uh, that was a coaching malpractice <laughs> last week against uh, LSU. Just some bizarre stuff uh, that those guys are. I don't even want to talk about Auburn. It's it's ridiculous to talk about. He's, he's, he's going to be fired. It's a matter of time. Uh, but – I mean, 30 point favorite in in this kind of rivalry is kind of unprecedented.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy. Uh, 30 points. Hey, I want to ask you something about Brian Harson because I was writing something yesterday a little bit about Arizona State and I was thinking about his name. Let's say it gets. No, it's not going to get bad because he'll get fired before that. Let's say he goes, he's he's four and four here and he gets fired. Is four and four, I think six and seven, and what he did at Boise. Combine those all together, the fact that his name is cold right now and he's a little bit, you know, under the spotlight. Can he get Arizona State? And would he be a good fit at Arizona? I think he'd be a good fit. Can he get Arizona State coming off this at Auburn?
1: I mean in theory, yes, but I don't why would anybody be excited about Brian Harson?
0: That's the problem, right? He's got no juice. He's got no juice. Two years ago, I think it's if this happens, he's kind of a no brainer hire. Because he's recruited Arizona, he does well with QBs, or used to. I just don't know if he's going to be able to have the juice to make that hire happen. But I think he'd be a good yeah. fit. Anyway, hypothetical. I want to get your thoughts. But he's going to get fired eventually, like you said. It maybe on Sunday, maybe even technically on Saturday.
1: Yeah, if Georgia, if Georgia does what the oddsmakers think they're going to do, then I would bet on this Sunday. Also, the three thirty window on Fox. Utah at UCLA. This is going to be a really interesting game. I mean, what is what is UCLA really made of against a high high quality opponent?
0: What are they made Utah's
1: of? It's a four and a half point favorite, by the way, in the Rose Bowl. In
0: the Rose Bowl, might as well be a home game for Utah. I I think, uh, yeah, I I, I you, That's a really good line, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it. We're gonna find out what UCLA is made of against Utah not just because Utah's number 11 in the country or whatever, it's because this is the style of game that UCLA has been just smothered by, the style of team they've been just destroyed by for a really long time. Are they tough? Are they physical? Can they stand up against Utah? I don't know. I'd say no. But if they can beat Utah, the opportunities start to widen for UCLA. We start talking about about them in a whole lot different way if they win this game. I don't think they do. I'm going to take Utah by like 10 points, but – we got to kind of embrace the possibility that UCLA is going to be one of those dark horse teams that we're talking about in November if they can win this game.
1: So that's kind of the end of the high wattage matchups coming for for this Saturday at 4 p.m. You've got North Carolina at Miami. You know, North Carolina is kind of quietly uh, four and one. Miami's favored by four in this game. Uh, Mario Cristobal says that Tyler Van Dyke is going to go back to being the starting quarterback. It's a game I'll keep an eye on. I actually like North Carolina.
0: Okay, I can see it. Drake May has been incredible. Yeah, so been. I can see them outscoring a team that can't do anything right.
1: Quick little story, by the way. When I was um, I was at North Carolina in the spring a few years ago, and talking to Mac Brown, I did a big story on Mac Brown, and we were walking through the uh, practice facility, and he pointed this this guy out. He said, he said do you know who that is? And I said, well, no, I don't. And he said, that's uh, Luke May's little brother. Luke May was obviously <laughs> was obviously a part of the North Carolina basketball team that won a national championship. Uh-huh. Said, yeah, that's, He said, yeah, that's Luke May's little brother, and he's going to be a really good quarterback. They were trying to get his commitment uh, locked up when I was there. And um, little, little did I know he was going to turn out to be this good.
0: <laughs> it's funny that Mac was like, do you know who that random 16-year-old kid is? from like maybe 250 yards away you're like uh Luke May's brother he's like yo yeah you nailed it um it's a good he he's been really really good um really really good a lot of high volume good so maybe it's not like the most productive passer in the country but um if he goes like for 300 with a couple touchdowns and no picks against Miami i, I think maybe Drake May will start being on the tips of the tongue of a lot of people in this country but Good opportunity for him. That's a nice little anecdote. Thank you for sharing that with us. How was how was your trip to North Carolina? What did you do? Where did you stay? What did you eat? Let's
1: talk about this. It. This was twenty nineteen. I really don't. I don't remember anything. that oh, happened this, before the pandemic.
0: Yeah, me neither. Twenty nineteen. I la- I was there in twenty twenty during the pandemic for them to play Syracuse or something like that. God knows why we were at that game. God knows. But anyway, that was probably the last. Right. That was the last regular season game I've been to, Dan. That was September two thousand twenty. Good story.
1: Good story. All right, uh, seven thirty primetime window. Clemson at BC is on ABC for some reason that I can't quite figure out. Because who in the hell wants to watch that? Um, Washington State at USC could be interesting. USC is a thirteen point favorite. Kind of, kind of like I like USC to win, but maybe not cover.
0: Okay, that's that's um, fair. I can see that. Washington State's better than uh, that. Wisconsin win good. doesn't mean anything to me anymore. But no. still, they're four and one. Jake Dicker doing a nice job. He's seven and
1: four since he took over. And then BYU Notre Dame out in Vegas, which is great because there was an awesome, uh, little, little preview uh, spoof video that Notre Dame with um, Marcus Freeman and a few players did. And, and the Golics were involved and it was, um, it was all sort of like a spoof on, Oh, what was the movie? It's the it's, it's on the tip of my tongue and I'm just, Got a brain fart here. Star Wars. No, 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 no. Uh, the, movie, uh, the movie out in uh, the you know the Vegas movie. Um, Fear and
0: Loathing in Las Vegas.
1: No, The Hangover. The Hangover. Yeah, I was
0: hangover. gonna. I was trying to make him. I was trying to drag this out and try to see if he would ever get there. Um, you're so the cool. Hangover.
1: You're you're so. Mean. <laughs> yeah, Just The Hangover. Me out to flounder.
0: Um. Yeah that that was uh that was funny. I thought that was funny. Good sense of humor. It's funny that Notre Dame and BYU are playing in Vegas. I don't want to like. It's a low hanging fruit, but it's a funny matchup in a fun place.
1: And then at eight o'clock you've got the aforementioned AM at Alabama game, and then Florida State at NC State. So some nice uh, nice viewing options really throughout the entire college football day.
0: Yeah, this is one of those twelve to three thirty to seven thirty to eight to ten thirty days. These are the days where you gotta just plan, Dan. You gotta plan like
1: And hydrate you, doing? you gotta and hydrate.
0: It. If you need to go to the store to get chips and salsa, like you can go from 325 to 336 and like sprint downstairs and get sweaty, or you can go at 11 o'clock. You can pre-order, you can plan ahead what you want to dinner uh, and order that on your Grubhub and have that ready to go at 730. Just plan, just plan ahead. Just be ready for a day in front of the television. I know that, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be on the couch from 12 o'clock until, uh, until Oregon is done. So 1230, 12 to 1230. That's my day.
1: All right. Well, I know that we're all going to enjoy it, and we'll get a little more clarity on some of the stuff we've been talking about, and we'll be back here next week and see who else has been fired. So thanks, everybody, for listening to the College Football Fix. We drop new episodes every Tuesday discussing the latest news and poll results from around college football. Subscribe to College Football Fix wherever you listen to podcasts and find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. For producer Emily, for Paul Meyerberg, I'm Dan Wolken We'll talk to you same time, same place next week. The College Football Fix Podcast. <laughs>